0: This episode is brought to you by Blueprint Renovate Program, the program designed to create space in your firm to cultivate mindset change through what you do every day. Visit blueprinthq.com.au slash contact to start the conversation. Welcome to the In-Demand Accountant. I'm your host, Sam Dean, and I'm excited to have you here to explore efficient and effective frameworks for implementation of change so we can stay in demand, build business mastery, and meet any kind of disruption that comes to us. All notes and links can be found at blueprinthqcomau forward slash podcasts. Enjoy the show and get curious on what we can do as an industry going forward. Well, hello and, and welcome, everybody, to the podcast today. I'm absolutely thrilled to have Richard McCartney from Bentley's in Newcastle. I've known Richard for many, many years, and I thought it would be really, really um, interesting to have a conversation around the last twenty years in the accounting industry and what has happened since the thirtieth of June, two thousand and twenty and look back reflectively to the 30th of June 2000, as everyone knows. Um, a few weeks ago there was the GST anniversary, and with everything that's happening, I think some of that stuff's been missed. I recorded my own thoughts on it a few um, episodes ago, and I thought it would be great to get somebody who was not only practicing um, back then, but also owning an accounting business as well, and get his reflections on you know, what it was like and what he thinks has learned or happened in the industry in the last 20 years and then obviously thoughts going forward. So super excited to have Richard here today. Welcome, Richard. Thank you so much for coming on today's show.
1: Thanks, all. good to be here.
0: Great. Could you just give us a, a quick intro and, and a bit of the backstory? how long you've been in the industry, why you came in the industry and your first experiences on ownership and um, where you are right now? Well, I didn't didn't start out as an accountant. I started out as an industrial chemist. I didn't know that. That's something I didn't
1: know about you. Uh, I met my wife in Sydney. We moved to the Sundays and we were up there for about 20 years. While we are up there, we gradually got into retail fashions. We ended up with about five different shops, and because of doing budgets and the buying seasons that happened, um, I started to get interested in accounting. Wow. And it was actually my current accountant's wife that said to me that she was going to do a degree by correspondence and I should do one too. So um, I did. Ended up finishing my degree in 1997 and um, did my CPA and moved down to Newcastle at the end of 98. And I joined um, an accounting practice down here called Barlas and Allen Bentley's as an employee for six months uh, with a view to becoming a partner. Yeah. And so on the 1st of July, '99, I became a partner in Barless & Allen Business.
0: There you go. So I'd like to – it's so interesting, the industrial chemist and then that. Did you think – and I'm actually seeing right now a lot of uh, – quite a few older people, you know, transitioning into the accounting industry too. So that was very interesting. Do you think that your previous experience and actually having business experience before you actually did your accounting degree, gave you, you know, a good framework and, and, you know, how did you leverage that experience? Because then that's a pretty short track, obviously, from when you got qualified to, you know, being a partner as well. So do you think being a previous business owner and doing that helped you with that or how do you reflect back and and think of the strengths that you gained from that previous experience?
1: We were running our own business from the very first um, moment we moved up to the Whitsundays. It started out being a screen printing business. So we're into sort of wholesale really. And, um, we went into retail gradually from there, opened a little, you know, screen printing shop and then started getting the old, you know, remember the barley fashions, um, <laughs> that come through and, um, and very popular up in the wet Sundays, of course, in mm-hmm. the, the climate that it was, that it was. So when I first started doing my degree, I actually started doing people's, other people's books for them as well. So I became a bookkeeper, um, pretty soon after I started the degree. And the, the experience of being both a retailer and seeing other businesses at the early stages of, of my degree gave me a, a, a really good background into how businesses operate, how retail businesses operate. So, yes, by the time I moved down to Newcastle, I had the experience to become a partner. I hadn't quite finished my CPA, but that didn't really um, hold me up. I couldn't get my tax agent's registration until I'd been down here for 12 months. And I had worked in an accounting practice up in, up in Early Beach for uh, about five years before I uh, moved down here anyway, so I did have oh, yeah. I did have experience. Yeah. But I had the wrong experience because I was a contractor. Yeah. So I couldn't get my tax agents registration until I was there.
0: Fantastic. And I always find it super curious, and when you start looking in the background of some accountants and, you know, the differences in experience from just sort of sticking to one degree, and, you know, everyone always says that, you know, back when you would have started, the people sort of, you know, become an accountant and stay an accountant, whereas quite a lot of people I'm interviewing have started somewhere else and, you know, come into accountancy. And so we have had shifts in our, the older generation as we are, um, we have had shifts in our careers and we are seeing that more and more, obviously, with our new tranche of um, accountants and stuff coming through and the new generation of, of employees um, will and expect to transition there. Their experience, you know, across a, a many careers, and not just one or two. So it's interesting that you did, you actually did that too. Fantastic! So ninety nine, that what a, what a great year to become a partner, you know, straight into into two thousand. You know, obviously with one of the big biggest legislations changes with the GST. So, you know, how did you feel, you know, going into that, particularly with your business background, and and you must have known how it would affect retail businesses and stuff as well. Now, what were you thinking back then, from that perspective, and just in hindsight of the big legislation drop? Obviously, we had recently with JobKeeper. Is that have you seen a difference, or you know, were you surprised at how the accounting industry back in two thousand, you know, dealt with the the drop of GST? That it, you know, we did we were doing things over the last minute, or what were your thoughts and our actual experience?
1: It wasn't only that at the time, of course, it was the Y two K bug.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, for that yes. So we
1: had what 12 months of leading up to the, um, to the change in the, uh, to the year 2000 with the banks on your case about, you know, are you Y2K compliant? Are all your clients Y2K compliant? And then we had the GST. I mean, the, the government was very generous in giving us $200 per client to help them through the process. A lot of our clients weren't computerized. So we had, we had to get them computerized. The, the program that seemed to be the favorite one at the time was a, Program called Cash Flow Manager. I don't know if you remember that one.
0: I do, and I've still got a couple of clients who um, use it. <laughs> actually started with quite a large firm a couple of years ago who were actually doing their accounts on it. I hadn't seen it in many years, but yeah, I liked it back then because it was quite simple and it was exactly what it says it was. But yeah, very okay now.
1: So, with all of that and uh, my background um, coming from retail, where um, I got into computers quite quite early. I think um I almost bought a Commodore sixty four but ended up buying an Amstrad to start with. So I and you had to do a, you know write a lot of the programs yourself. So um my background in computers with the Y two K bug, you know, everybody in the practice was relying on me to make sure everything was was compliant. And then with the uh GST coming in, I ended up helping a lot of clients with their cash flow manager and MYOB for those that had had seen, seen the future of it and uh, gone with MYOD. So we, it was quite interesting because leading up until then, we had, say, from January to June where, apart from doing some tax planning and some audit, preliminary audit work each year, you weren't that busy. yeah And suddenly, suddenly with the advent of GST and um, that statements seemed to be done, uh, and I don't think it's changed since. We just are busy all year round now. And as I think I've mentioned to you in the past, I feel like we are working you know, twice as hard as we ever used to. And I'm not sure if our remuneration has sort of gone up accordingly.
0: No, actually, that's a really good point because I think we need to look at that. And, you know, I think I use my pre-2000 experience. Interesting, we qualified about the same time, even though I obviously took a more direct route, was working with, you know, straight-out grad- graduate and Two degrees, but straight out graduate and stuff is that we did a lot more uh, client, you know, talking and yeah, we, we weren't as busy. we still working big hours, but we did have rest periods. Whereas now I think, and you're quite right, we haven't, you know, haven't ever been able to sort of embrace that, that change. And I might actually make a note and see if I can get some kind of comparison to um, remuneration from, from accounting partners you know, back in 2002, 2020, and, and see if there's any stats on if we actually increase that, you know, obviously changing the time zone as well because I, I'm, my my gut feel tells us it's gone down. So, that's a, it's a very good point. So, do you think that given your computer background and, and your IT thing, you know, you would have thought that once we sort of that big shift that we had to – it's interesting. We had to have that shift with GST. So, our clients, we did get them onto desktop programs, whether it be the two that you mentioned. Then we had obviously the the zeros and everything come in about 10 or 11 now, 12 years ago, you know, the cloud version. And I remember talking back then, you know, in the partnership that I owned that, oh, this is great. We'll get all our clients onto it. But I don't think we had that take up, if you like, of the digitalization until it had to happen, obviously then with STP and stuff like that. So, a lot of these changes have been forced through government as opposed to forced because it's good management. It's good to have up-to-date data. It's good to have a business grip on it. It's, you know, a lot of the changes in our clients' behavior and in our behavior has all been launched by legislation. And um, being an IT guru, you know, it sounds like you've got a really big background in it. Is, is that what you're thinking as well? that the take-up of um, technology has been forced as opposed to people taking it up because of the efficiencies and, and the information?
1: Yes, I definitely think it was it was forced on people. But, you know, it was a great outcome really because your clients didn't know how their business was going until they came to see you usually at least six months after the end of the financial year and then a lot of times the work wouldn't be done for another two or three months. So it was a fair, fair way down the track before they even knew if their business was going well or not going so well. And at least with the best statements coming in, they, they were forced to recognise when things were going well and not going well.
0: That's a great point. And then do you think the shift in two thousand I think sure it was two thousand and I'm gonna say seven or eight or somewhere around then when it first sort of came mm-hmm. around. Did many of your clients shift over? Or did you guys shift over? Look, I
1: took probably a bit longer, maybe Twelve months where we had one of the um, staff doing some accounts with zero, and he kept saying to me, "You should have a look at the zero. It's a great program." And eventually, I did look at it, and I just I just took to it like a duck to water.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I thought this is fantastic. This is what we've been wanting MyOB to be doing for, to do for years, because suddenly we had the one source of truth where where you would be seeing the same data as the client, rather than getting <laughs> Do you remember the old floppy disk and they would put their oh, I know. um no, and
0: then you can the, the third one or fourth one will be corrupted. <laughs> yes.
1: And if you didn't grab that floppy disk as soon as it came in yeah. and test it, if you put it out the back and, and wait until you got round to it, and that could be a month or six weeks down the track, and then you pulled the disk out and it was corrupted, and then you had to go back in the clients and say, Oh, I need a new copy of your data file because this one's corrupted and, and you're thinking you know, I should have looked at this six weeks ago. So yes. <laughs> there were those sorts of things. That, <laughs> that, yes. that, uh, I'm going get you back. to
0: explore that for a minute, and then later on, I want to link back to the buses and the payment of GST. But just exploring that. So when we work with firms, particularly around the efficiency piece, I still see a desktop, what we call a desktop mindset. You know, with the – obviously, you know, we had to have that massive digitalization with the advent of STP. So, you know, using zero files like you would a floppy disk and going back and sort of, you know, fixing the 30th of June entry, if you like, rather than going, well, why are those mistakes making happening and what can I fix in the client's files so they don't happen again rather than just doing journal entries every year? Are you seeing that? Like I I always – think that there has to be a bit of a mind shift in that as well From so then the client and your data is exactly the same all the time. I haven't seen a complete shift in that mindset. What's your thoughts on that? No, what I,
1: what I do like to try and do with somebody, say, zero file, if they're making regular mistakes and where, where to code things like they might be coding wage payments to wages instead of to wages payable, I'll actually go in and put a bank rule in there so that it comes up automatically and so that they just have to click on it. Because yeah, the, the bad old days when we would get their MYOB data file, you would just do the movements in our system and then at the end of it, you'd need to give the client a journal to put into their system and, of course, they kept using their, their data file while you have got um, a copy of it. So their data file changed quite substantially. So then you'd need to give them a journal to put in to, to correct their balance sheet. But a lot of times that just never happened. Yeah, so right. you end up with a totally different set of accounts than, than the client would. The benefit that, was. That the,
0: yeah, zero has, you know, using zero, that doesn't happen as much, or do you think that we still go and change things after the fact rather than changing the behaviour behind them?
1: Yes, I think we do tend to not change their behaviour. We tend to um, fix, their, fix their data without yeah. getting them to change their behaviour.
0: Just an, another thing that I, w- I would be curious to drill down on. You mentioned GSTs and, and stuff like that. And when I did my, was really thinking about this a few weeks ago. Some of the behaviors that I found, particularly in 2002, I went in, in and you know gave up the accounting industry for a while and you know stopped being a tax accountant and owned my own business and with my husband you know chopping down trees. And I suddenly realized why. You know, a lot of my clients weren't paying their GST and stuff. It was because it's like, you know, suddenly you had this credit, <laughs> if you like, particularly when you have startup businesses, we did. And I suddenly got an understanding. And, you know, the ATO then didn't, and you know, we weren't really, we didn't, and you said it before, we didn't have the time to sort of look at cash flow and explain, you know, the behaviors to put, to put the money aside. And I think that the ATO didn't really jump down on it for poli- pol- political reasons. And then looking at the ATO debt and everything that's happening, particularly around those BAS statements and stuff, even now, you know, do you think that maybe we put some behaviour in there for our clients that's coming to haunt us now? Like, you know, not not sitting down with our clients and really saying, okay, well, it's, it's super important that we get this cash flow right and that you can pay all your obligations right up front and the ATO is not a credit line.
1: Yeah, I st- look, I still have clients that, do that, use the ATO's money to um, to run their business, and then they, they come to when they, their BAS is payable and they um, they struggle. Um, I think the tax office every year seems to get tougher and tougher on that sort of thing, and I think with the new insolvency rules where they're bringing in GST as a, as a director's liability, that's gonna change their mind shift mm-hmm. yet again. My most efficient clients have been the ones that have been putting money aside in a separate bank account and not touching it. And saving it there for the um, uh, to pay the best on time, and other ones have just been making a regular payment to the tax office, regardless of whether they they needed to or not. So they'd end up with a credit in their integrated client account, and come the end of the quarter, they had the money in there. They didn't have to put any more money in.
0: Did anyone back in two thousand? Because I mean, I certainly didn't. But did you see any accounting firms or any people in your circles sort of think about how we could help from a cash flow point of view, or or was it just because you know, even now you know everyone a lot of accountants want to do you know additional work, cash flow work and stuff, and I kind of I, I look back and thought, well, we had a great opportunity then. We also have a massive opportunity now, obviously, with um, everything that's happening with the the I want to say shitstorm, um, the shitstorm that we're in and. The fact that the ATO and the government has come, but we really need to get our cash flows and everything right. So this is a great opportunity, again, to really help our clients with things beyond tax. But, again, we are overburdened with legislation and stuff. So did anyone really think about that back in 2000, that is there other things that we could be doing with our clients right now from a cash flow point of view that we could add on to this or was it just hell for leather and we have actually progressed that a little bit?
1: I think. Back in 2000, it was just a lot of it was just compliance, you know just getting the best out each each quarter if they had an IAS each month, getting that done for them as well. there wasn't much thought put into advisory type work. We helped them with cash flows and all the rest of it. We did some with we, we were looking after some larger clubs back then, and we did some of that work with them, but, um, but otherwise no, the clients all they were doing just trying to get through their compliance.
0: Yeah, okay, cool, do you think that mm-hmm. that's changed now, or do you, do you think it's, we've progressed more or less than you would have expected into those additional services?
1: You know, when you do a cash flow forecast for a client or a budget, and you upload into zero for them so they can monitor it every month, they absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just getting the word, word out there to the, um, to the other clients that don't have that, that we can do it for them, mm-hmm. and that um, it's going to help them run their business.
0: So, what do you think stopped us getting that word out or marketing out that these are the extra things that we can do?
1: I think some accounting practices have done that well, yep. and others have been so busy, and it's usually a capacity thing. Uh-huh. Um, so busy just getting all the compliance work done that they don't have time to um, to do that extra work for their clients.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it, it, that's the tough one. It's always the time isn't it? Because I think a lot of people want to do this, but yeah, it, it's blocking it. Do you think? Looking back over the last 20 years, in hindsight, did you ever sort of reflect in 2000 or at any time really in the last little while where we would be sitting in 2020 as an industry? And if you have, you know, is there a gap or has it met your expectations?
1: Um, No, I don't uh, think I've ever really sat down and said, okay, I wonder where we are going to be in 20 years' time. I know there's plenty of industry leaders out there that have done that. I guess that's why we go to uh, seminars and et-, et cetera, just to learn about how those things.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, so did. you in the past, have yeah. you gone to some of those events and gone, oh, wow, that's definitely going to happen in the next 10 or 20 years, and now thinking about it today, you look back and go, that none of that's happened?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I, I, there's been a bit of that, and there's there's been some of those events that are really sort of opened your eyes on how fast the world is moving as well.
0: Do you think that so, uh, we're moving with it?
1: Look, I, I think as an industry, the accounting profession are a bit a bit slow on the uptake with a lot of these things. There's some that do do it well, and but I, I reckon the majority of us just coast along, and well, not really coast along, but just try and get some work that's, that the clients keep dumping on them without having any time to uh, to innovate.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And I think that's, you know, one of the big reasons. Not that people necessarily don't want to. It's just that they don't know how to and or even how to do it within the, the compliance space and, and the time restraints that that puts on us. So, um, yes, it's one of my missions anyhow to see if we can undo that. So if we're sitting here... Um, Maybe not twenty years, let's just say ten. What would you have liked the industry to look like? You know, what what would you think an accountant, an in demand accountant, would actually look like? Um, have you I mean, I know, I'd probably put you on the spot, but
1: Well, I think down the track there'll be a lot less compliance work. I think a yeah. lot of it will be automated from the tax officers end. So the in demand accountant is gonna be one that gonna be able to give some really good advice to businesses on. Look, I think cash flow is probably my number one Thing in a business that, that businesses really need to understand how their cash flow work when there's going to be shortfalls in their cash flow when there's going to be excess cash flow because they the biggest question i get asked is i've made all this money but how come i haven't got any money left over or any money in the bank or how come i i haven't um off to pay off my house or those yeah. sorts of things because they don't really understand how profit ties in with cash flow
0: so, a real education element to that too, education, mm. financial literacy, and then that will get them to understand why this stuff's important.
1: Yep. No, I agree. Yeah. Just getting them to, um, getting the clients to understand how this, how this stuff all fits together. I mean, I had a client the other day say to me, I don't really understand a balance sheet, and um, this client runs quite a large business.
0: Oh, yeah. And, and I, I think that's an assumption that we make, for that. but, you know, quite often. Well, mm. that's fantastic. Fantastic insight and I, I look forward to seeing your journey over obviously the next little while as you, you know, go into probably, I'm not going to say the twilight of your career, but, you know, what kind of legacy would you like to leave on the, on the industry or what, you know, for yourself?
1: You know, because I'm a, I am like the IT side of things, I would like the younger accountants to understand that they don't need to take a, a zero file and journal it into their accounting system software. You know, that these things can all be seamlessly dropped in. The efficiency savings of doing stuff like that, you know, I see, I mean, of course, we all still work on timesheets, and um, I see jobs just blowing out because of that sort of stuff. You know, I can take somebody's zero file and either produce the financial statements straight from zero, or I can drop it into our system in a very short um, space of time but I see some of the younger accountants spending all this time journaling things and I'm thinking scratching my head and thinking why are they doing that why are they creating all these inefficiencies that could be so easily fixed
0: Wow so that's we must be teaching them that though because and if, you would think that they, it would should be in reverse so the the 25 or 30 year old is t- t- teaching you that that's the way we should be. That's, a, that's an interesting insight. So it's really your legacy, like, efficient use of the technology so then we can get, get from behind the tech and, and actually talk about what the data means to the client rather than spending time in it.
1: Fantastic. Yes, because I, I think a, a big thing, Sam, is we've had this open checkbook with our clients for years where we just charge them however long it takes. Yeah. To me, it's just totally wrong. You know, there, there should be a, a price. And I've got a few New Zealand clients and, and over there, They're way better at saying, this is what it's going to cost. This is what I want you to pay us each month. And if the job blows out, it's the accountant's fault, not the client's fault. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Cool. And then, you know, really working with the clients to make that efficient so they can get us great data so we can do what our magic is, which is not data processing. It's advice (laughs) around it. (laughs) Very good. Well, I always like to leave with your top three tips. So... You know, someone new coming in the industry or accountants today. What would be your top, very quick, you know, three tips on, on what they, they could do? Um, you know, outside of what you already suggest, or even from a personal point of view, you know, going forward into the next twenty years. I think understand the client's needs, what mm-hmm. keeping them awake at night. Yeah.
1: Create efficiencies in your in your practice, and enjoy what you're doing.
0: You love what you do fantastic thank you so much they, they're great tips well again thank you so much richard for spending the time with us and um being brave and, and coming on the podcast i know it's something you haven't done before so uh, super happy to spend that time with you having this conversation so to everyone else as usual be brave and let's continue the conversation thanks richard thank you sam Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. To check out more information on all things Dean and Blueprint, go to the website blueprinthq.com.au. And remember, continue the conversation and be brave. See you next time.